welcome to this Sunday morning meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Today's message is by Paul Abel. So, what we've been covering is I've really been talking to you about the gifts of the Spirit, if you remember, going back over uh, messages over the past few weeks, and we've really outlined some of those gifts, and then we went into from that, uh, that, that from that passage in Acts 19, let me read it to you again. About this time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. And uh, so uh, this morning, I'm going to talk about the great disturbance. You thought uh, maybe I've been doing that for two weeks, but I haven't. But it fits in exactly with the gifts because it's time to see the towns, the villages, the cities where we are turned upside down as people hear a gospel message of the God who is love Many of them are going to be hearing this for the first time. They may have heard a version of it, but they're going to hear it in a completely different and fresh way, bringing revelation. It is time. It is harvest time. You say, how's that going to happen when we're in lockdown? Through this kind of stuff. And the fact that we can be uh, currently in groups of six. We can talk to people. Obviously, we're being responsible in all that, et cetera, et cetera. But we can talk to people. We can meet with people. And the church will grow as it grew in the early church. Yes, they had a huge meeting at Pentecost, but there was also uh, the meetings that went from house to house. Again and again, you read through Acts, from house to house, from household to household. And those small groups are so important. Even house churches uh, are going to be so important. But they're probably most of the ones you're in, there's more than six of you. So you still, you know, uh, they've got to multiply it into other groups just so you can be together. Anyway, the great disturbance is God really breaking through. And that's why he's been uh, equipping us to enabling us through the gifts of the Spirit because this can't come from us trying to just sort it out and just do it ourselves. We've got to be in the flow of the Holy Spirit. And if we are in the flow of the Holy Spirit, ministers of the Spirit, if you like, then it follows that the world must change. It cannot fail to change if the church can be the people that we're called to be. That is the great disturbance. That's, we want a great disturbance about the way. Remember, the way is the original name for Christianity. I quite like it. Um, it's a great disturbance because of the way, not causing riots, but causing riots internally, challenging people so that they can come to know the love and the freedom and, and who Jesus really is. So the question then we've got to ask, we're, I'm standing here uh, saying we want everybody to be operating in the gifts of the Spirit, and we've looked at uh, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, Gifts of healings, prophecy, faith, serving, administration, leadership, giving, encouraging, showing mercy and compassion, showing discernment, having discernment. These are all gifts of the Spirit. And that list goes on the, the way that the Holy Spirit gifts us to be his people. But if that means that by doing that, we're then ministers of the Spirit, what's the qualification to be ministers? What? and qualifies you to be in ministry? How mature, how holy do you have to be to see people healed when you pray, to be able to give a word of knowledge or prophesy? How much? It's, it's an important question. And I think in answering it, that's why we're going to go to this church in Corinth, because 
The church in Corinth, it, it was a bit of a disaster, really, in some ways. I mean, it wasn't. But if you looked at it on the outside, there were so many things going wrong within that church. That, um, and it was a church that Paul, Paul spent 18 months in Corinth. St. Paul, they got St. Paul got them started. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big lift up, isn't it? And he says to the church in Corinth, He's got all these things that he wants them to sort out. But in the midst of like the first book of Corinthians, he's got all this teaching of the gifts of the Spirit. So they're all operating in it. They are moving in the gifts of the Spirit despite everything else that's going on. So, I mean, it, Corinth was really important to Paul. It's where he met Priscilla and Aquila. That If you've been following Church Reset, we talked about quite a bit. Those, that, that husband and wife team that Paul called his co-workers and... Uh, they also had a church meeting in their house when they later traveled with him. You see, because in Corinthians, Paul quite clearly teaches that all believers possess every spiritual gift and that you're fully equipped to minister to others. So the question, how mature, how holy, doesn't actually come into it because it's all dependent on him, not you. This is what grace is. This is not an excuse to not bother. We are called to live as holy and we want to mature as believers. You know, it, it's, you don't want 15-year-olds still needing their nappy change. You want them to mature from when they're a toddler. It would be disastrous. It's a disaster in one sense when adults are still, you know, are still prone to tantrums like a toddler. You know, it, it doesn't feel right. It's because it's not right. We are called to grow and mature physically, mentally, and spiritually. Okay? So Paul speaks over these guys in Corinth, you are fully equipped to minister to others. And he then talks to them about what love looks like, because this is one of the things that is missing in the Corinthians. And when it's missing, and we'll come to see, Paul is saying, the rest of it, all those gifts, it's a waste of time. Now, of course there was love in the church in Corinth. But Paul was calling that church to something more. And I think that's what God wants us to look at today. Not to make us, oh, you know, I'll never make that, but to make us see that this is what God has called us to, and that's how we're going to be. Okay? So, in this letter, this letter of telling them that they've got every spiritual gift, this letter of saying that they're equipped to minister, this letter that, that has the wonderful, the first letter, uh, taking of what love looks like and, and revealing about the hope that the, uh, of our coming resurrection gives us. In the midst of all that, it's still that letter of correction. And this, this is some of the things I've written down here that he actually, he actually addresses in his first letter. He cause them to live godly lives amongst a corrupt culture. It's, Corinth wasn't unlike a lot of churches today. We live, in a, we live in a culture that is not a Christian culture. And it's very easy just to follow along with that culture without even thinking about it. And Paul is saying, hang on, you've left that behind. You're now called to kingdom culture. He, make, he tells them that they've got to make every effort to be unified as a body. Uh, there was a lot of falling out going on in the church in Corinth and people not speaking to others or having their own meetings over here because they didn't want to be at that meeting with that person. And Paul says, we, regardless of how you feel, we are one body. And he caused them 
to, to remain united and to go through and come out the other side of the struggles, the disagreements, uh, and those kind of things. He also talks to them about maintaining sexual and moral purity. The, the standard that God calls to us is not the same as everybody who's not part of the church lives. It's, I mean, that varies enormously around the world wherever you are, doesn't it? How people, their, their particular morality. But we got God's morality outlined for us. And Paul calls the church back to that, saying, don't compromise on these things, even while saying, eagerly desire those spiritual gifts. And he tries to see, talk to them about how these gifts must be used, because they were even competing with one another. You know, I can have a better word of knowledge than you. I can, I, I can do this. You know, and it, and it was taking away the essential thing that had to be there, which was that embracing of love. Uh, and he was saying, there is a need for you to have orderly worship. It's not just about everybody doing their own thing. It's about people coming before God and worshiping God together. And he says, when you come together, there needs to be an order. It needs to be, he's not talking about something so rigid, nothing can happen. It's, it's, it's a God order. Uh, when the Holy Spirit breaks out in places, sometimes that can look like chaos. And you think, well, how can that be the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is completely in control of what's happening. That's a godly order. It's the, the, what, what, what the chaos that Paul is talking about is people doing their own thing, having always just wanting it to be their preferences rather than God's preferences. Now, you think, therefore, after writing this letter, that they get themselves sorted out. But there's actually a letter we don't have. In between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote another letter. And we can infer it from what is written in other places. And um, that was a really full-on blast you know that was a, it was a powerful reprimand of correction uh, this communication in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians he really laid it on the line because they didn't really take much notice of that first letter or at least some didn't who knows exactly and so when he's writing 2 Corinthians it's a little bit shocking to find this bit because after all this they've got Paul who is their leader? He, he was there at the founding of the church. He's one of the founding fathers of that church, and he is an apostle. And in 2 Corinthians, he actually says something because they've been saying, oh, he hasn't come to us because he doesn't care about us anymore. And there'd been a lot of trouble arise, sort of saying, we don't want Paul as a leader anymore, probably because he brought this letter of reprimand. And often, uh, if people even just feel that a leader is correcting them, you, you have a decision, don't you? You either then say, yes, that's right, or no, I don't like that. And if you don't like that, then you usually end up having to disqualify that church leader or that house church leader or that pastor from speaking into your life because otherwise there's this contradiction. So what people do is they then will talk badly about that leader. And that's actually what was happening in Corinth about Paul. They were saying, we don't want Paul as our leader anymore. We, want, we need other people. We need spiritual people. And you get the peculiar thing going on in, in 2 Corinthians of Paul having to justify that he is a, an apostle and a teacher. Incredible when you think about it. You think of what they'd already seen from his ministry throughout their known world. The fact that he had to do that is a little unbelievable. Anyway, 
There's this little passage here in 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter 1, verse 23. Now, I call upon this faithful God as a witness uh, against me if I'm not telling you the absolute truth. So he's saying, you know, God will be my judge if this isn't the truth. It was because, and he's explaining why he didn't visit them when he'd said he was going to, and he held back for a while. It was because I hold you in my heart that I decided not to return to Corinth in order to spare you the humiliation of my rebuke. Wow. 1 Corinthians, this subsequent letter, and still Paul is saying, I'm not coming right now because you're going to be humiliated by what I'm going to say to you. But I don't want to imply that as leaders, we coerce you or somehow want to rule over your faith. He's still saying you still have choice. You still have freedom. The best a leader can give you is this is what I believe God is. This is who I believe God is. This is what I believe God is saying. Uh, and, and if we step into control, that's when we've overstepped our boundaries. Um, but I don't want to imply that we're doing that. Instead, says Paul, we are your partners who are called to increase your joy. This is why Paul hasn't gone, because he knows that if he goes, it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> and we know that you already stand firm because of your strong faith. So he's then complimenting them on their faith. He's saying, you've got it. You just need to be living it. So until these issues were settled, writes Paul, I decided against paying you another painful visit. For if I brought you pain, you would be unable to bring me joy. And the, this, this was the very point I made in my letter. For I didn't want to come and find sadness filling the very ones who should give me cheer. But I'm confident that you will do what's right, so that my joyous delight will be yours. I wrote to you previously, he said, this is this missing letter, sobbing with a broken heart. I was filled with anguish and deep distress. I had no intention of causing you pain, but needed to convey the overwhelming measure of my love for you. And, and it, we don't need to go, I don't think that's God's word for us particularly this morning, but just to show you that despite all of this, Paul never for one moment considered them disqualified from moving in the gifts of the Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Despite all of that, despite that way he's writing there. This, the letter to Corinthians is written four years after 1 Corinthians. So it, there's quite a big gap. But he's still having to address issues and wants to go back when things are better. And that's why he put off this visit. Now, if you are following in your Bible, you can go back now to 1 Corinthians. And obviously a lot of the teaching, not all of the teaching, but a lot of the teaching when you want to know about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you're going to look a lot at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But in the middle of 12 and 14, not surprisingly, is 13. I mean, Paul didn't number these chapters and verses. That's a, a later edition when, uh, so that we could refer to things in the way we do now that were added much, 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 much later uh, when, when we wanted to print it. But Paul writes bang in the middle of the gifts, really the one qualification that there is to see the gifts flourish. It's not about being mature and holy. It's about this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, of love. Because actually it's love that enables us to be mature. It's all about love. It's all about love, forgiveness, mercy, and grace from God to us, from us to God, 
and to one another. You can't miss out the one another. There's no such thing as really, it, the, the Christianity, the way of following Jesus is not just me and Jesus. That's what Paul is saying to the You can't just be a lone Christian. That, it, it's, it's impossible. It's like trying to survive as an ear without the rest of a body. It's not going to be pretty. That's two lots of that. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just looking at YouTube here just to see if anybody said anything interesting. <laughs> now, that's bad because now if I don't say anything, it means you, you were all, no, I won't go there. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. It's a great chapter. It is the chapter on love. And wherever you see the word love in this chapter, you could easily substitute the word Jesus. But actually, because he lives in us, what also needs to happen is you could substitute your first name. Jossie is patient. Jossie is kind. I'm picking on him because he's sitting there just behind the camera. <laughs> it's that terrible thing of being actually present. I can pick on you. It's very hard to pick on you, Shona, because you're only there online and I can't see you. But I could do it, sort of. Let's look at this 1 Corinthians 13. This, I believe, is so important to us as a church right now. And we need to ask for God's grace and God's mercy to be this kind of people. This is a church where there is much love. We've seen incredible acts of love through lockdown, of people putting aside personal time to help others. We've seen that. In, in this church. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. We've seen people remain committed to one another even when they can't see one another. We've seen people also do things that they haven't done before uh, in order to serve the church. I'm thinking of, say, Richard making uh, his one-story videos here on YouTube. You know, he does that because he loves the church and it, he's using his teaching gift to teach. And that is a good example of of how the gifts of the Spirit are motivated by love. Now, if Richard was motivated by his love of his teaching gift, the teaching wouldn't have the anointing and, and the depth that it has because then it would be about building Richard up. It would be about Richard's ministry growing. But Richard loves you and loves Jesus and wants to use his gifts to enable Jesus to get the glory. There should always be a measure in us that when we are thanked, a bit like I thanked Dan earlier, you, you almost feel like, oh, because it means it's been noticed and you've, it's been acknowledged, you know? And there's, there's, there's a great thing about just serving the Lord and nobody realizes because God realizes and he sees everything that's done in secret and you will be rewarded in heaven for it. Don't try to get thanked because as soon as you want to be, we should we should be thanking one another because that's honoring one another. Okay, I'm not saying don't thank people. That's honoring. This is a different way of looking at it. This is looking at it from the point of view, oh, I want to be thanked and acknowledged for doing stuff. The problem with that is you then be, your ministry then becomes dependent on somebody else saying thank you rather than dependent on you know that you love Jesus and that's why you're doing it. All right? It's quite tough because we are so used to doing things because people say thank you. All right? But actually, it's God that we only really want the thanks from. Now, when others do say thank you, 
we should honor them back and say thank you. Obviously we should. You know, it's not like, oh, what do you do that for? My reward's in heaven. Don't want it from you. You know, that's, that's not very loving either, is it? Oh, sorry about this constantly having to drink water. I've, uh, it's really dry in here at the moment. Maybe it make you feel more like you're at church because the preachers stopped for a drink. You know, you can't do that on live TV. Well, you can because I just did it. Ha. Now, I can hear you, Alex. <laughs> I might not be able to see you very well, but I can hear you. I, we won't say what he said. Anyway, this is 1 Corinthians 13. This, this is the bulk of the message. It won't take that long. We're just going to read it and uh, highlight a few things on the way through, okay? I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation just because we're so used to um, probably reading it in others. So it can bring things fresh, can't it? And it is about love. And I need to t- you, you, you probably know the Greek word for love that's usually used for God's love to people, agape. Um, and that is the word that's used in here. It, it's, it's, it's a word, sometimes you hear people talk about this as if it just, it's just God's divine job to love. He just gives because he has to because God is love. There's still feeling involved in agape love. It's still, it means to esteem. When, when it says God so loved the world, you could actually say God so esteemed the world. Okay? He doesn't look at everybody and think they're, they're miserable, horrible worms. He, he's, he hates sin. He doesn't hate people. To esteem, to love, it means to find joy in it, to find joy in. If I say to John over the back there, who's probably missing Luke already, he's been separated from him for a couple of hours now, but Luke, he, he loves Luke. But it were also to say, he, if, you've, if you've seen him around with him, you, you just see it all the time. He's besotted with the boy. But Luke's watching. Well, I hope, I hope you're listening hard to this, Luke. Your daddy loves you. But... Uh, it's very true to say John finds joy in Luke. It gives him great joy. And that's how God is with us, multiplied. You know, no matter how good a dad he turns out to be, it seems all right so far, um, no matter how brilliant he is as a dad, he still won't compare with how good God is. So why would we think God would be, you know, this stern authoritarian smacking you around the ear for getting stuff wrong all the time? He finds joy in us. That's in this word agape. And actually, it includes intense affection. God is intensely in love with you. He doesn't do it because it's his divine job. He is love. Interestingly, if you read uh, uh, this passage in the Aramaic, which I can't because I don't know the language very well, but I do know some Aramaic words. And in the Aramaic, the word for love is, is a word hubar. And the word hubar in Aramaic means to be set on fire. That's the intense passion. It's not a dry old thing. You know, there's an intense passion in the way God loves us. So when, why am I stressing this? Because when we read this passage, it's, easily to, it's easy to miss it in English because the word love, you know, oh, I love chocolate. Oh, I love going out with my friends. You know, I loved it. It's, it's an incredibly overused and, and demeaned word, really, for what this actually is. And it's another gift from God to us. But it's, 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 if there's one gift that you've got to give away, in many respects, you have to give them all away. All the gifts of God are useless unless you're giving it away. But love, as a gift, is the gift. It's God himself. Jesus is love. It's, he, it's the gift that's given to us. But we have to give it away 
or you don't really experience it. So here we go. If I were to speak with eloquence in Earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, I mean, that sounds pretty good. An eloquence of speech, speaking in tongues. And Paul's, Paul's writing, but I didn't express myself with love. The words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. If there's no love in a talk, if there's no love in a sermon, it'll just be a horrible noise in your ears. I constantly, personally have to be before God saying, God, continue to grow love in me for, for, for the people of this church. Because if I have the privilege of speaking and every single week since we've been in lockdown, of speaking to you and sharing with you, I don't want you to just be getting a a noise like this all the time, which is quite distracting when you're trying to listen. But that's what a talk without love is. It's a, it's a, a clanging symbol. Apologies if that sounded really terrible if you're listening on headphones. I have no idea. But you don't want that either. Paul writes, he carries on. Because these gifts are in operation in the church in Corinth. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy, that's a pretty cool gift. The gift of prophecy is cool. We must, I mean, they're all cool, but uh, the gift of prophecy, you know, it's, it's, what, you know, it's a good one. Isn't it? it's, it's great to have it. Remember, you are allowed to desire these things. If I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains, I mean, this sounds pretty good, you know? You'd be pleased to meet somebody that's got the gift of prophecy, profound understanding of God's secrets, they're sharing them with you. They've got incredibly amazing gift of faith that can literally move mountains as Jesus taught. You think, well, they've got, that. They've got it made. Wow, I wish I could be like that. But Paul says, but if I've never learned to love, then I am nothing. You can have faith that moves mountains, but if you don't have love, you are nothing. That's a pretty strong statement. This is how important love is. This is why it's sandwiched here between chapter 12 and chapter 14 and all the important things about being church together and the gifts of the, the, all, the, all the spiritual gifts. In the middle is love because everything comes back to love. Everything. Even, even judgment will be done in love. From God, I mean. At the end times, not now. And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I owned to feed the poor and to offer my body as a, to be burned as a martyr, without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. I mean, these are, these are, these are good things. Generously giving, being willing to die for Jesus. And yet Paul says, but if you're, if you're being martyred for Jesus, but it's not come because you are from love, it's not a value. Wow. Verse 4. Love is large. <laughs> Odd translation, the passion there. Love is large it's because it's without end. You know, God is big. Love is big. And amazingly patient. That word patient means long-suffering. You know, this isn't just a patience that's, that, that, that's, that's um, sort of disconnected. This is suffering because you are, you're waiting for, for people to respond. You're, it is a long suffering. God isn't in heaven 
sort of looking at his watch, impatiently waiting for people to respond to his message. There is pain in his heart in heaven for every person who is, doesn't know him here because he wants that reconnection because he is the perfect father. Love is gentle and consistently kind. Remember, you could put the name Jesus in here. There's a, there's a sense in, the, in this patience and this gentleness and this, and this kindness of because love can only be from one to another. It's, uh, Paul is saying, even in the difficult relationships, remember they, they've had all sorts of fallings out going on in this church, as well as other sin. And Paul is saying, even in this, even in, ex even in exceptionally difficult relationships, we've got to get back to love. We've got to draw from love so that we can love others. I'm not saying this to make anyone feel bad. Don't feel bad about this. Be excited about this because this is what God is saying he will do. We will never fully measure up to it because we'll always be growing. One of the greatest dangers of preaching about love is that afterwards, you, you always seem to get people that feel like, yeah, well, we haven't got that in our church. And instead of responding, this, this is a message to consider yourself. How do, how, how do I grow in this? Where do I, I fit in, in this? And... This, that's the purpose of this message, to consider how we're going to respond to God and to others. It's not so that we can find all the faults that there are in other people that means that we're not living by it. That's, that's not our responsibility. That's between them and God. The, 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 and you do. It, often you preach on love, and immediately some people fall into judgment of the church because they say, well, we're, we're a long way off that. We can't, we're not a very good church. Well, this church made it into here, and that was, yeah, there was a lot of good things happening. Love refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Why did he get blessed with that? Even, you know, especially if someone gets blessed with something that you were particularly hoping for yourself. How, how are you going to be blessed like that other person? When you rejoice on the blessings on other people, more blessing is released to you. The more you are thankful and gracious to others for all the good things in their lives, even when they're people that you, know, you find a bit irritating, the more will be released to you because you will give it away. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. There are certain times where you may have to um, talk positively about what you can do, like job interviews and, and situations where, you know, you may have this tremendous, maybe you've got a tremendous gift to play keyboard, but you've never told anybody because you're just waiting for someone to get, a, you know, divine inspiration that you are a secret keyboard player in your home, but never anywhere else. Well, that's the time to say, I can do this. And, and use that gift that you have to serve others. Don't, don't spiritualize it. Remember, gifts are always to give. Love, love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. That's a key one. Love does not manipulate by using shame. It creeps into society, it creeps into the church, where people in positions of responsibility shame people into doing it. We can do it as parents. We shouldn't shame our kids. 
into doing things. That is not love. God will never shame you into doing what you're called to do. Love is not easily irritated. It's, well, it's interesting that the word easily is in there, isn't it? <laughs> so love can be irritated. No. <laughs> love is not easily irritated. The, the word there is about being overly sensitive, or, or you could literally translate it as, as love doesn't have sharp edges. You know, you, you're, you're, not, you're not giving that sharp word. And... and, and we all do it, and we do it more when we're tired because we're, we, we sin more easily because we're a bit worn out, you know, but that's not love. It's always going to happen, which is why we're told to forgive one another and be gracious to one another and, and put up with one another is one of my favorite. Um, because it will happen. Hopefully it happens less and less as the love of God flows through us, but it will happen. But it is something that God's calling us to. You see, because it's these people that will cause the great disturbance. And that's us. God loves the people of this church, I tell you. Boy, does he love you. He, th he, th he the Lord, thinks this church is great. You say, well, that's a bit arrogant, isn't it? No, 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 that's just the truth. That's just the word. He might speak to us like Paul spoke to Corinth about certain issues, but he still loves us. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Oh, doesn't offense cause so many problems? We have no right to hold offense at all because Jesus took all the offense to the cross. And when, when we take offense, you can even say justified offense. You know, sometimes people are very offensive. But if we take the offense, we're saying to Jesus, you're not having that, I'm having that. Your, your death on the cross wasn't enough for that one, it's mine. And you begin to see why offence can cause so many problems, not just between people, which is why God hates offence, because it destroys relationship, but it also, it, it can literally make you ill because of, of, of what you're taking on in that offence, which is why God calls us to forgive. We don't forgive others because they deserve forgiveness. If, if you could only be forgiven when you deserved it, none of us would ever get into heaven because none of us deserved it. Anyway, love. Um, love joyfully celebrates honesty. That's an interesting. Love celebrates the truth and finds no delight in what is wrong. God doesn't, uh, love doesn't celebrate um, injustice and unrighteousness. It's the opposite. Love is a safe place of shelter. Wow. That's how God wants his church to be. A safe place of shelter. Yes, Tim. Jesus is wonderful. Absolutely. Tim's saying as well, interestingly, today's passage is pretty much the physical center of the New Testament when you hold up a printed Bible. I've never tested that. There you go. Actually, this is a New Testament. Yeah, look at that. It's pretty, pretty central. <laughs> I'm nearly at the end. A safe place of shelter. It's because um, it might say love bears all things. That would be another way you could translate this passage. 
Um, the, the, the root word is about having a roof. Love is, love is a roof. It protects, it covers. Paul is saying here that love covers all things. You know, if, if, you're, if you're in a home of love, there will be things that happen in that home that are not loving or are wrong or where you hurt one another or you, you, know, you just lose your temper or, or whatever. But if, if it's a home of love, it will cover those things. You'll, you'll go through them and out the other side. And that's how a church should be. It's this roof of love where love covers over things. Not, I'm not talking about hiding sin or hiding things that people are doing wrong. I'm not talking like that. It's, it, it's like love will cover that. We can get through this together. Love is this roof. Love doesn't focus on what's wrong. It's so easy. I mean, sometimes you have to deal with things that are wrong, but some people seem to have their minds perpetually looking at what's wrong. That's not love. Because it doesn't build up. It just pulls down. And love builds up. Love is a roof, a covering. It, it, love bears with all the shortcomings in other people. We're good at spotting them in others and not so good at spotting them in ourselves. It's like a roof that protects and shields. It's like saying that it, it doesn't spring any leaks, <laughs> this roof. It's a roof that protects everyone that's under it. It's a safe place. It's like that original word over this church that it is a strong tower. It's the same thing. Well, what's that strong tower? Why is that tower strong? Why are we a strong tower? Love is what makes it strong. It's this love that overcomes all these things. Um, it never stops believing the best for others. Isn't that great? Challenging sometimes. It's not never stops believing the best for the other people that we like. It's actually others. Love never takes to failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Maybe that relationship... Maybe that issue, maybe that problem, it's just gone on and on and on. But love says, well, I'm not giving up. I'm going to persist until we're friends or until this is sorted. Love covers all. Love never stops loving. It never gives up. It never falls down. It, not even once does it fail. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, which eventually fades away. This is now Paul and love and the gifts. Prophecy is wonderful. Paul says eagerly desire it, but it will fade away. But love will always remain. Paul's not saying it will fade away in the life of the church. He's saying at the end of time when Jesus comes back, we won't need prophecy. It will fade away, but love will never fade away. It is more enduring than tongues, which will one day fall silent. Love remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. Our present knowledge and our, our prophecies are but partial. But when love's perfection arrives, the partial will fade away. And in yours, it's got uh, your translation that you've got there, it might talk about we, we look through uh, into a mirror. Of course, mirrors then weren't the polished mirrors that we have, so that they would often show quite a dark or not accurate image, if you like, because uh, they didn't have that technology uh, for people just to access. So it was not a perfect picture looking back at you. Um, so it, he's, Paul is saying, all our prophecy is partial. In fact, you know, if you hear from God, 
prophecy or what God wants to do, it's 99.9% .9 certain that you haven't got it in completion, even to the level that God gives us here, because others will have the completion of what you've heard. It's not like, I've got this, this is what we're doing. You see even in the book of Acts, the apostles coming together to talk about what God is saying, to hear God together. That's why God puts us in a body, that we hear God together. Even when you're leading a church, you, you, you've got to be listening to what God is saying. Heather Barker uh, had, a, had something she said to me in the hub this week when I was chatting to her, you know, saying, I, I think God is saying this. That's so important that we bring these things together. Not because I'm not hearing from God, but because it will build the picture of what God is saying. Do you see that? If you lead a team, you should always be open to God speaking to your team, even if you've got a direction of what's going to happen. You still, when you come together, it's still like, let's share. This is what I've got. What do you think? Is that what you've got? A lot of the times it will be, yeah, come on, let's go. But also it will be, um, Mike's sitting over there. Mike's, Mike says, um, well, what about, what about if we could do this? And it won't take away from what you heard from God. It will enhance it. And Jossie says, oh, we haven't thought about this. Or uh, Nigel, sitting over there, I can just about see you through the fog. <laughs> uh, Nigel says, but we haven't considered this. And together, you hear God. That's, because that's love. That's the body in operation. Um, when I was a child... I spoke about childish matters, for I saw things like a child and reasoned like a child. But the day came when I matured and I set aside my childish ways. We are to grow in these things together through love. For now we see, this is the bit about the mirror actually, for now we see but a faint reflection of riddles and mysteries as though reflected in a mirror, but one day we will see face to face. We're going to meet with Jesus face to face and we'll know all those things we've often wondered about. My understanding is incomplete now, but one day I will understand everything, just as everything about me has been fully understood. God fully understands us. Until then, until that time, there are three things that remain. Faith, hope, and love. Faith is essential. Hope is essential. Yet love surpasses them all. If you have faith without love, it will be harsh and demanding. If you have hope, Without love, it will be hollow and cause insecurity. But love surpasses all of these things. So above else, let love be the beautiful prize for which you run. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. That's uh, everything I have from the word. Let's, um, let's just take a moment, shall we, before God? If, if you've been sitting down, let's stand. Um, let's, let's ask the worship team to come back up again as well. Uh, looking at the comments, your love never stops, never runs out, never gives up on me. Oh yeah, that's a good song. Uh, it, never, it never loses faith. Yes, hallelujah. Amanda is pointing out that the, the Greek word there is uh, enigma, which is like the English word enigma. It will tell you that in your... Passion translation. Love is an enigma. We'll never fully understand the mystery that is love. Um, 
Thank you for those of you saying that it's, a, that it's an encouraging word. Uh, praise God. Love transforms the spirit. Yes, the joy of our salvation, being loved and cherished by our Father God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. So let's all stand just together and just um, take a few moments because when we hear a, a message on love, um, there should always be a sense of, I've got so much to grow in. I've got so much to do. So we want to stand before God as a church together right now. Uh, even if you're watching this on, on uh, you know, later on as a recording, I encourage you to stand with us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Excuse me. Hallelujah. Just pray in tongues for a minute and let the Holy Spirit speak to you directly. Father, as we stand before you now, we acknowledged that you love the world so much that you gave your own son, that all who will believe in Jesus will cross over from death to life, but you gave, and you gave what was precious to you, and Jesus himself gave his life on the cross. And Father, when we see that cost in love, it becomes obvious that we fall short of what your love is. And so Father, we pray, by your grace and in your mercy, forgive us for not hitting your mark. And we pray that you come and inspire us come and enable us and that Father we would step out in obedience to you and enable us to love one another with a greater depth than we've ever known before because it is time for there to be a great disturbance about the way but Father we pray that that great disturbance would come because of love and the amazing love that is in your church that reaches out and helps others and changes the lives of others not just by bringing the gospel but by genuinely caring and helping people that they are saved through love understanding how much God loves them hallelujah thank you Jesus just well Thank you for watching this morning. Thank you for being part of this this morning. Thank you for joining in with this this morning. Uh, it's been wonderful to feel that even in this way, we are back together here in the summit. 
And uh, it's been great to actually be preaching here again in the summit after all this time. So thank you to uh, those of you that have said how great it is to see the team here back in the summit. Uh, it's been great to worship live together as well, hasn't it? Knowing that we're all doing it together. Um, we've had some fabulous recorded worship over the times and fabulously anointed uh, all through lockdown. But uh, it is good to be back in this room together. Have an absolutely wonderful week. Uh, if you can make it here to the, the, the hub, um, whoever's here, it would be delighted to have those small meetups because we can't keep just meeting lots of different people because that's not permitted. But we can meet in those groups in this really safe place. Uh, we're really thankful to be able to open uh, the building again. Um, who knows what's going to happen in Scarborough over current predictions of what might happen. So let's make the most of it this week. Hallelujah. God bless you. Have a great week and see you soon. Keep safe. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.